And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning. Welcome to the show. It's a Tuesday, technically speaking Tuesday, of course. And that means that we're going to talk a little bit about our article on the website today. Right now, it's called... Solely at first, all at once. And that's the way typically markets always work. But we'll get into that in the show this morning, talk about where we are now in the markets, kind of what to expect next, kind of what's happening, and really kind of understanding how markets work over time. And this is really one of the bigger issues for investors that we've talked about in the past. People kind of get involved in the markets and, you know, it's all upside and it's all easy while markets are going up and then they stop going up all of a sudden and then it's not so fun and it's not so easy. So, you know, that's just the way markets work and you've got to kind of be prepared for that. Before we get into that, though, a couple other things uh, to kind of go through. So interesting stories out this morning. Um, the birth rate in the United States is now reaching one of the lowest levels on record ever going back to uh, World War II, right? And uh, birth rates uh, in 2020 have declined by up to 9%, depending on the age bracket. So, you know, women are producing less children. And as Will Rogers once said, demographics are destiny. And that's a very important point where we are in the current cycle of our economy and, you know, the expectations of recovery is that in order to make an economy grow, you need two things. One, you need to have activity within the economy, right? So we need everybody to be working and producing and manufacturing and doing these type of things, right? But you also have to have a group of individuals that are coming up, right? The next generation. And that generation has to support those at the other end of the generation that are retiring. And, you know, as baby boomers are in retirement, and they're doing that in force now. Um, they become a drag on the net welfare benefit provided by the government, right? So Social Security, welfare, Medicare, prescription drug benefits, the Affordable Care Act, those are all now in the, the mandatory spending column of our budget, right? Those are things that have to get paid. Um, back in when Social Security was first established, uh, back during the Depression, the there were about 16 workers paying in for every one person drawing out of social security now again people weren't expected to live to be 90 100 110 150 uh, that wasn't even a thought process back then when we established social security people died between 65 and 75 with regularity right so it's just there wasn't ever expected to have to be this ongoing long-term demand on social welfare of course, in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s, we expanded that social safety net. We started including all other kinds of people. It was no longer just a social welfare net for retirees uh, as people were in, you know, leaving the workforce late in life. It wasn't just that kind of end of life social welfare net. We, now we started including people with disabilities and children without parents. And I mean, just a whole variety. Of, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing, by the way. I'm just saying we expanded that demand upon the pool of assets. Well, as the demand on the pool of assets increased, the number of workers contributing into that demand declined. Today, we're down to about a little bit less than two workers for every person taking out of Social Security. There's about two workers paying into it. 
So again, the ability to create and sustain that social uh, social welfare net is really dependent upon population growth, right? You need more people in the economy working, producing, paying payroll taxes, et cetera, if you're going to support that social net. Now, right now we have about $160 trillion worth of unfunded liabilities. Now, this is demands in the future as more and more baby boomers move into retirement. We've got about $160 trillion worth of liabilities sitting out there that are going to have to be paid for somehow, some way. And this is why there's constantly concern about, well, the, solve, the solvency of Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid. And, and uh, again, even this, the Board of Trustees for Social Security have said that, uh, that some of their programs are already bankrupt. And by the time that we get to 2030, there's going to be programs that have to cut back on the amount of payments they're paying out. There's simply too many people taking out of the system, not paying in. Now, here's the problem with this. When we had the shutdown of the economy last year, we had a huge surge of retirees hit the markets all at once. Now, these weren't people that just said, you know what, because of the pandemic, I think I'll retire now. <laughs> That's not how that worked. Um, what happened was is companies you know, came to them and said, look, you've got a choice. Uh, either you can retire now or we're going to have to let you go. Um, and so a lot of the people that we saw entering in retirement were people that were basically asked to retire and leave work because companies were having to cut back on labor, those type of things. So now we have this big surge of people that have entered into retirement. And, and the problem is, and we've talked about this on the show before, is that the financial solvency, a lot of these people are very, very low. 80% uh, of Americans uh, can't come up with you know $500 for an emergency, those type of things. So even though they've entered into retirement temporarily because of being asked to retire, doesn't mean that they're not going to come back into the labor force at some point. And that is generally a group of people with a higher skill set. So as the economy improves, as things get back to work, a lot of these individuals that did retire, were asked to retire, will likely return to the workforce. So that's going to have some impacts on you know, the job availability of, of jobs that are out there. Uh, you still have a 30 to 40 percent rate of millennials living at home with their parents, not getting out into the workforce and, and not moving out into the home buying market, et cetera. So there's going to be some real dichotomies economically. But when, but when you drill all down to this, it really comes down to the very basics of demographics. We don't have the, the right type of immigration bringing in workers, skilled workers into America, capital into America to support that bottom end of the economy. And we're not birthing a rate of pop, a, a population at a rate to sustain social security welfare all these other types of social welfare uh, safety nets that we currently have in place and that we have a very ma large group of people drawing into so just something to think about and it's going to have an impact longer term this is now this is long term demographics don't don't impact markets next week next month next year this is something that's going to be an impact on the economy over the next 30 years the next 40 years particularly unless we get start getting immigration back under control so real quick here yesterday the markets did end up at a record high here look the market's been trying to eke out some really small gains here over the last couple of days Performance has not been good, though. If you actually looked at the, the internals of the market yesterday, very weak. Uh, market was actually in the red for most for all day, actually. And it was just the last few minutes of, of the market day that we actually saw the market surge into positive territory. Big buy program came in yesterday, buying stocks right at the close. That's because Friday is quadruple, quadruple 
quadruple. <laughs> it's a new word. Quadruple witching, and that's basically all options expiration on Friday. So it could be a positioning by a fund to get ahead of options expiration on Friday. Volume very weak yesterday, but again, uh, internals of the market not healthy at all. So even though the markets are kind of you know this this slow little grind higher here ever since this low we had back uh, earlier in the month when we triggered our buy signal, uh, the markets remain very extended here. So again, it uh, doesn't mean markets can't go higher. Nothing wrong with that. Again, uh, we talked about taking a little bit of profit last week here. We are getting very extended here. We're getting back to overbought territory. Likely going to have some corrective action here. Um, but uh, but again, timing is always the issue. Is it this week? Is it next week? Week after? Don't know for sure. But we're getting into that window now that we've had a, a string of advances here long enough that we've exhausted a lot of that buying power that was that was there previously. So again, just kind of watch this here. Nothing to really worry about. Lots of support. The 50 to the 20 day moving average right below prices here. Lots of support. So whatever pullback we get is going to be by a buying opportunity, not, you know, a, a bigger correction. So again, nothing to really worry about here. But just, you know, markets are getting a little bit extended here. Again, uh, again, just, you know, a correction is likely to come. But again, we'll deal with that when we get there. Quick break, we'll be back. We'll get into slowly at first, then all at once. And that's what we'll talk about today on The Real Investment Show. Don't go away. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. You could be one of the 7 in 10 people requiring long-term care in your lifetime. Are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than $7,600 a month? Our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for the basics of long-term care. Long-term care. Register at realinvestmentadvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care. June 24th at noon. Realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. Uh, before we get into our technically speaking post, just a little bit, I got some important um, economic data coming out today. Retail sales in particular, this is one that, you know, we're watching very closely here because this is the the inflation story, uh, so to speak. Right now, you know, this is the big, you know, debate at the moment. Uh, and there are two very decisive camps on inflation. There is the transitory inflation camp and there is the, oh my God, inflation of the 70s is back camp, right? So, and it depends on really which side of the camp that you're on as to, to really what your arguments are. Now, the, oh my gosh, this is the 1970s inflation is back camp is looking at prices of things like commodities and say, look at what's going on with commodities. And, you know, this is clear evidence where, you know, that inflation is sticky and it's here to stay. And, you know, the Fed's wrong, right? The Fed's going to have to start hiking rates immediately to start combating this, this inflation before it gets out of hand. There's two things about commodity inflation that's very important to understand. The first thing about commodity inflation is that it is indeed a function of supply and demand, right? So if there is a large demand for goods being produced, then prices are going to go up. And 
we've obviously had that, right? Um, we shut down the economy, locked everything up. And now people are coming back and they're, you know, driving more and they're, you know, needing a new car or whatever it is. And so now we've got this exacerbated demand short term for products. So that's requiring more commodities to fill that that gap. I mean, look, we've had these surges in home prices, right? So people are out just buying homes left and right, used cars. You know, right now, if you can if you can afford it go out and sell your used car and, you know, Uber to work or something um, because used car prices are in an absolute record, right? You don't want to buy a new car right now, but, you know, if you could sell here, you're going to make, uh, you, you can sell, as an example, right? Um, I bought a, a used 4Runner uh, two years ago. It's a 2019 4Runner. I paid $19,000 for it two years ago. I can sell that car today for more than I bought it for two years ago. That just goes to show you what's going on with used car prices. Unfortunately, I have to drive to work in the morning, so <laughs> I can't arb this deal right now. But that's that's kind of the point of where we are. There's just a, there's just a lack of supply of cars. So right, this is driving prices up. So uh, and again, so this is creating inflationary pressure short term, and that demand for a lot of these a lot of these goods and services came from. Stimulus payments, right? We sent $1,400 checks to households, and they all run out with their checks go, you know, hey, going to go buy some stuff. Don't worry about saving money. You know, there's a, a kind of a big fallacy right now about money market savings accounts. If you actually take a look at what's, what's in money market savings accounts, it's not the average American. And the way you know that is, is by looking at what money, what, what money market funds are being used to store cash. And they're primarily, a big chunk of it, insured money market funds, which require a, a minimum deposit of a million dollars. So it's not your average household that's saving cash. It's mostly institutions, corporations, and high net worth individuals. The average person is running out with their brand new hot, you know, new, newly minted issued IRS check running around going, hey, I'm going to go buy something, right? They're buying cars and putting down payments on houses and just doing their typical spending thing because they don't know any better financially. But that's creating that short-term impact on inflation. Now, the problem is for the inflationistas is that as this demand wanes now that we're seeing stimulus checks go away. That demand for goods and services will decline. The demand for production of those goods and services will decline, and prices will decline also. But there's a second factor, as I said, to inflation that is also transient. And that is the theory of reflexivity. We, talk, we talked about this recently. The theory of reflexivity is a, a what is a theory that was put out by George Soros regarding how people participate in markets. There's a psychological push in the markets, and then people respond accordingly. They're reflexive to the markets. In other words, 
we think there's we we think that this might cause inflation. So investors run out and start buying inflation related investments, which causes the prices of those investments to go up, which then causes the prices because they're buying commodities, causes the prices of commodities to go up. And so since prices of commodities go up, now there's inflation. So they run out and they buy more of those inflation products because inflation is going up. So the the point is is that investors also cause inflation simply by their own actions. If I start bidding up the price of commodities, and since the price of lumber and corn and coal and everything else in the world is is basically benched off a futures contract traded by investors, um, you know, you're going to get price increases. Those are also transient because when the fear of inflation fades, then they begin to sell those products and inflation falls. So this, this, you know, division amongst the markets right now over whether or not there's permanent inflation, sticky inflation, or whether there's, you know, transitory inflation, it's both. There is definitely transitory inflation. Commodity prices are going to fall at some point as the as demand weakens, as the economy weakens back up towards the end of this year, we'll see the demand for these things begin to fall and the prices of commodities and inflation uh, and inflation type investments will deteriorate later this year. That's just a function of the transitory side of the inflation. But there is sticky components of inflation that are not going away. Right. We talked a little bit about this yesterday. Companies are already repackaging um, products. They give you less for more. (laughs) That's not going to change. After the inflation crunch is over, they're not going to start putting more product in the bags. what, What they reduce out of the bags now in order to charge you the same price for a bag of potato chips, for example, is not going to reverse when the price of of producing potatoes falls. They're still going to give you less in the bag. You're going to be used to paying the price, and their profit margin is going to remain the same. So those types of inflation are sticky, right? I mean, look, you you know this from gasoline prices, right? So you go to the, the gas station, and, you know, oil prices are $80 a barrel, and gasoline is three fifty a gallon, and you go, well, okay, well, that makes complete sense, right? We got high oil prices, so I got high gas prices. I got it. Then oil prices go from eighty to twenty, and you go to the gas station to fill up, and gas is two seventy five. <laughs> you know, it's down, but it didn't fall nearly as much as the price of oil. You know, back in two thousand, we were paying a buck a gallon at twenty dollars a barrel. We never saw a dollar a gallon, you know, when we hit 20 barrels, uh, $20 a barrel this time, right? So there's some inflation that's just always there. Once, pri- once people get used to prices for certain things, those things don't change a lot. But there are many other areas of the economy where, tr- where inflation is going to be transitory. And the impact where inflation is much more transitory is in wages. As we get through this cycle where there's all this demand for goods and services because of stimulus payments. And once that passes, all of a sudden that demand is going to contract and that's going to lead to a decline 
or at least downward wage pressures. Today, we're going to see retail sales. Last month, they were down. They're expected to be down again this month. And this is a simply a function that if you take a look at what's going on with credit card spending and all this type of stuff, people have run through their stimulus payments, and now they're getting smacked with what? The bills. <laughs> you know, running out and spending money on credit cards is great until the bill comes. Then all of a sudden, it's not so fun. I mean, and this is one thing, right? You know, everybody was all locked up, right, for a year. So now, so as soon as we kind of unlocked the economy, everybody went out. And they started, you know, going out to dinner every night of the week, right? It's like, hey, we're, we're free again. It's great. We're running out, and they're, they're spending all this money. Then all of a sudden, a credit card bill shows up. Let's go take a trip. Been locked up. Got to, got to, got to jump on a plane and go somewhere. Got, got to get out there, right? Then the bill comes. So all of a sudden, you know, this influx of money that was there allowing for this excess consumption is starting to fade away, and now the bills are coming due. And as always the case, what happens with the average individual is they go, oh, the government's giving me a check. Well, maybe they'll send me another check. So I'm going to go ahead and spend outside of my means because I'm probably going to get another check. I mean, I got one last March. I got one in December. I got one in March of this year. So, you know, they're just keep sending checks. I'm just going to keep spending like there's no tomorrow. Well, the problem is now is that we're likely past that point to where we're going to see the government going for more checks. I mean, right now they're trying to get an infrastructure bill passed, and that's what they're working on, right? We're not talking about another rescue package at this point. The economy is recovering. People are going back to work. There's no need for it. There's no demand for it on Washington at the moment. I don't get me wrong. Checks to households is now a new permanent monetary policy. When the Fed is, is at zero interest rates and doing $120 billion a month in QE, as soon as you have a drawdown in the market or the economy at all, you're going to see people starting to talk about checks to households again. So that's, that's part of the new permanent monetary policy. It's just not going to be regular, right? So again, you know, inflation is likely transient at this point because all this stimulative-driven action is now going to start working in reverse here over the next few months. All right, be right back after the break. Um, slowly at first, all at once, we'll talk about the technical analysis of the markets and why that, you know, ultimately markets work the way they do. We'll be right, right back. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. You could be one of the 7 in 10 people requiring long-term care in your lifetime. Are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than $7,600 a month? Our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for the basics of long-term care. Long-term care. Register at realinvestmentadvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care. June 24th at noon, realinvestmentadvice.com. Can't catch the whole show now? Listen to our podcast later at realinvestmentadvice.com. You're what I call a duber, right? That's a dead Uber. So you got to haul your kids around everywhere, right? And when they start getting like friends, you start driving them all over the place. So you're a duber. As soon as they turned 16 and got cars, I was like, hey, duber's over. You drive yourself. In fact, go pick up your sister. You fill up your tank and take your other sister over here to do this. The Real Investment Show podcast. Same show, your schedule. They're now their own Uber. At realinvestmentadvice.com. Everybody get up! Hey, 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 hey. Uh, second 
just a second ago uh, on the commercial break, uh, Brent played that uh, promo where I was talking to Danny the other day about being a Duber, which is a dead Uber. And my son was actually listening to the show that day. And, and I forgot to tell you this, but yeah, so I got home from, I got home from, from work um, that day, actually. Mm-hmm. It was uh, last Wednesday. And I asked my son, I said, uh, so my daughter's 15. And I said, hey, I need you to go pick up your sister from dance and, you know, take her back to the house. And he, he's like, hey, no problem at all. And so he gets out his phone and starts doing <laughs> something on his phone, right? And I'm like, I, I said, are you going? And he's like, hang on a second. And he looks at his phone and he says, yeah, that'll be $27.48. What he did is he, he put in the trip into mm-hmm. Uber and right. then got the price for it, right? And I was like, oh, okay. So I wrote down on a piece of paper, handed it to him, and he says, why are you giving me a bill for 300 bucks? I said, that's for food, maid service, and rent. <laughs> I said, so two can play at this game. He went and got his sister for free. <laughs> well done. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they, they don't quite make the connection yet. Just, it's, no. We're getting there. We're getting there slowly but surely. It's but coming. It's coming. It, it's we're, we're slowly getting there. Anyway, I just thought that was funny. He was, he's, he's a bit of a prankster. So, uh, Wonder so, where he got that. Yeah, I have no idea. So, for my wife, definitely. Um, slowly at first and then all at once. That is the, the kind of the, the main story behind today's article on the website. It's our technically speaking post for the day. If you're on our, uh, on our mailing list, by the way, if you go to the website um, and register for the newsletter, we email out our technically speaking post and our newsletter each week. And that's the only thing we email you. We don't spam you with a bunch of stuff. Um, but if you want to get access to, to these two uh, articles primarily through email, you can just subscribe at the website. Um, but technically, it's per, uh, slowly at first um, and then all at once. That's the way markets tend to work. And this is the one thing where investors you know, often find out the hard way how markets work. When markets rise, uh, you know, bull markets are these kind of grinding markets that that you know, advance for a very long period of time. And, you know, so we get lulled into this sense of complacency by bull markets. It's, it's, it seems like, hey, no matter what I do, nothing, nothing can go wrong, right? It's just simply a function of, you know, markets rise and there's all this liquidity and, you know, there's simply, you know, nothing at this point that can really seem to derail What's happening in the markets? And, and if you take a look at you know markets over a very long term basis, you know it's you know these kind of trends become much more evident, right? The, the, these bull market trends tend to run for very long periods of time. The bear markets are very fast, vicious events. That's why they're called bear markets, right? Because they, they just basically maul you, and then it's over, and then they walk away, right? <laughs> Um, But these are very fast events. They generally last anywhere from, you know, 12 to 24 months, and then they're over. But they do an immense amount of damage during the time frame that that these are happening. But this is the way markets work. And typically near peaks, you start seeing some, you know, relative types of action that are normal, 
for these types of, of markets. And, you know, in particular, when you start to see markets beginning to struggle to make new highs, um, when there's a, a, an increased amount of volatility in the markets, you know, these are all kinds of, of you know, signs that point to a, a topping process in markets. Uh, when you see very large deviations from long-term trends, these are typically points in time where there's a lot of exuberance in the markets. There's a lot of, of excitement. Um, you hear this time is different a whole lot. <laughs> and you start seeing a lot of investments in very speculative in, uh, areas of the markets. Um, you know, currently we're seeing it in cryptocurrency or SPACs and IPOs and a whole variety of, of issues. These are the things that you typically see near market peaks. But deviations from very long-term trends are typically areas where markets become much more vulnerable to a pullback. And, you know, over the last decade, we've had several of these pullbacks, but these pullbacks have been countered by a lot of central bank interventions, right? So we have this very short-term break of the trend, and then we immediately recover back above it and, and go higher. And that's why, really, since 2009, we have not had a real bear market. March 2020 was not a bear market. It was a correction because we had this big correction and then we popped right back above it the next month and we're, had set new highs basically just a few months later. That's not the action of a bear market. A bear market, again, a much more grueling event. But, you know, when we start talking about, you know, where the markets are currently and looking at the activity, we certainly see all of the speculative activity in the markets on a, on a variety of fronts because this is something that, you know, we fostered a lot of this attitude. You know, um, people have been lulled into this idea of moral hazard by the Federal Reserve because they have been providing the support. And of course, you know, the emails I get and, and Twitter messages I get every day are, yeah, I don't have to worry about a correction because the Fed's going to do this. And, and, and that certainly seems to be the case, right? I mean, you've got housing prices at all time high, but, you know, yet the, the Fed is still supporting the mortgage market at $40 billion a month. Um, asset markets are at all time highs, and yet the Fed's still buying, you know, $80 billion a month in treasuries. So the attitude, the psychology is, is that no matter what happens, if the market corrects 10%, that's okay. The, mar the Fed's going to jump in and start buying it. And that's true. Because of the psychological impact of falling asset prices on the rest of the economic recovery. So the Fed's in a trap. You know, we're resorting to new measures of trying to stimulate ac activity by providing checks to households, these type of things. And, and these are all things that are very abnormal at the moment, but as they become more normal, here's the risk, is that when the market absorbs it and this becomes normal policy, then other factors will replace it. Yeah, I know the Fed's putting treasuries out there. That's fine. But because of X, Y, and Z, you're still going to have a correction or you're still going to have a bear market at some point. And then it'll require a new set of tools to try to fight that problem, whatever it is. It'll be credit-related at the end of the day, but that'll be the issue at some point. And, and sure, yes, the Fed will probably come in and start buying stocks directly like Bank of Japan. That hasn't worked out well so well, so well for Japan either, but yes, you know that'll probably be the next innovation. 
But, you know, when we start talking about these deviations from these long-term trends, we're currently at a deviation in the markets that we've never seen in history, ever. Which only suggests that when the market does have a, a, a real bear market, that bear market is going to be fairly substantial to reverse that excess deviation. And it's not just really on a, a version of you know, how deviated we far, how far we are extended above long-term trends. You know, it's also a function of how deviated we are in terms of our psychology from normal activity. And this is simply something that, you know, we continue to deal with is this psychological push within the markets. And this attitude from investors that there is no risk. There's always, investing is all about risk. Investing is all about what happens. But all these things that we're experiencing currently are things that we've seen at every point previously, right? What's going on with Reddit is not new. Right, we saw that back in 1999. What's going on with IPOs and SPACs are not new. We saw that back in 1999. At every major peak in history, there was always some attitude that this time was different. 1929, Dr. Irving Fisher, right? Stocks have reached a permanently high plateau. There's always that moment where this time is different, and it never is. It's just a function that we have some abnormal influences, or I shouldn't say abnormal, because we've always had influences in markets. They're not abnormal or normal. We have some different influences that the markets are absorbing. And this is the one thing that people forget, is that markets adapt and evolve and absorb these influences. And, you know, it's much like building up pain tolerance. You know, you can build up a tolerance to pain over time. Ask anybody that has chronic pain. And, you know, my dad was a good example of this. He played, he was a professional tennis player, played for, you know, 40 years, tore up his knees terribly. And he was in so much pain all of the time that he eventually stopped having the pain and you know he went to have he went to have his knee replaced ultimately and the doctor said we're gonna give you these painkillers uh because of the operation it's very painful and he never took any of the painkillers you know why he said the pain from the operation was less than the pain he had previously and this is the point is that markets build up a tolerance to these influences until they have no longer the influence that they had previously this is why the fed has to keep up in the game well, there's a limit to how many bonds you can buy. And what happens when you reach the point you can't buy any more bonds without impacting the market? This is the one thing we don't talk about. And the one thing we don't focus on near enough is watching that tolerance to pain. Be right back after the break.
Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. You could be one of the 7 in 10 people requiring long-term care in your lifetime. Are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than $7,600 a month? Our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for the basics of long-term care. Long-term care. Register at realinvestmentadvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care. June 24th at noon. Realinvestmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show. Of course, I'm Real Science Roberts. Hordes of wealthy people are going to be really disappointed. Why, Lance? Well, you put a headline on my uh, on my note page today. It says, why are hordes of wealthy people hitting the escape button and heading to Montana? <laughs> it's because they've been watching Yellowstone with Kevin Costner. <laughs> They're going to find out, though, that Yellowstone is actually in Utah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Way to go, Utah Film Commission. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> They're all going to show up. Montana's like, what? <laughs> you know what else you're going to get in Montana? Snow. <laughs> A lot, lot of it. Of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is cold. It's bitter cold in Montana, for sure. It's not the Montana Frank Zappa sang about. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, hordes of, yes, hordes of wealthy people are hitting the escape button, heading to Montana. I don't know. Bill Gates is buying just a massive amount of farmland. Kind of ask you, kind of Farmer Bill. Farmer Bill. Kind of have to ask the question: What do they know that you don't? Hordes of wealthy people going hmm. to Montana. Bill Gates buying massive amounts of farmland. What's in Montana? Farmland. Yep. Yep. As well, far as the eye can see, right? There goes the neighborhood. <laughs> well. Yet that's the question. What do they, you know, if everybody's getting out of Dodge, mm-hmm. right? Might want to ask the question is, what do they know that you don't? I'm just saying, right? Just something to think about. What's Used that? missile silos. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, they're, they're actually, they had a, um, there was an article out, I guess it was about two months ago, that they actually did a tour of one of these converted missile silos mm-hmm. where, I mean, but this was the, the minimum price of entry was like $3 million. Oh, yeah. Um, but, I mean, it is, you know, you go into the bottom of the missile silo and there's an artificial beach with, you know, everything you can imagine and food for years and, you know, entertainment. Everything you can imagine is inside of this missile silo along with luxury apartments. So, yeah. I mean, if you got to be locked up somewhere for nuclear winter... <laughs> That's where you want to be, right? <laughs> Not in a cave. No. Uh, anyway, uh, we had a question on YouTube this morning. Of course, you're always ask, welcome to ask uh, questions on YouTube. I'll try to get to them when I can. Uh, asking a question about stagflation. Um, stagflation is a function of when you have rising prices and falling wages, which is exactly what you've got going on right now. Um, and, and again, so that's exactly really kind of where I think we're going to wind up ultimately is we're going to have higher prices on one end. We'll have declining wages and stagnant wages on the other end, which makes it very difficult for consumers ultimately to make ends meet. Um, cost of living doesn't keep up with wages. And of course, we already have a big uh, you know, disparity 
you know, this kind of wealth inequality, wealth gap, disparity between wages and and um, and the economy itself. So, you know, the, the risk of stagflation is really probably the actual risk, more so than uh, outright inflation, you know, hyperinflation in the 70s. Really don't think that's the case because, again, we don't have the economic makeup for that type of sustained inflationary pressure. The best cure for high prices is high prices. Because once you start getting prices to the point that people can't afford to buy stuff, then prices come down. It's always about supply and demand. You can't have inflation without supply and demand. So as demand goes up, supply is going to increase. And when demand goes up a whole lot faster because of stimulus checks, you're going to get a price increase as supplies have to catch up. But once supplies catch up, and if demand decreases because of now lack of stimulus, the opposite is going to start to occur, right? Supply will outstrip demand, which means prices will fall. Again, though, there's going to be these areas of the markets we were talking about earlier where prices are sticky. So to the question, I, I do. I, I think that stagflation is probably one of the bigger problems that we're going to have going forward. Because wages, and if you just take a look at the Atlanta Fed wage tracker, um, that wages have actually declined. In fact, right now, we actually have negative wage growth because of inflation. If you take a look at real wages, right? You have negative wage growth. So despite the fact that all these people are going back to work, yeah, there is a group of individuals that are starting to see some pay, pay hikes, right, on the very low end of the scale. But on the upper end of the scale, there's still a lot of wage suppression. Look, this all comes back down to one thing, and don't forget this, is that ultimately at the end of the day, corporations have to protect profit margins. We were going through a list of companies yesterday talking about these companies. Campbell Soup starting to talk about you know, taking action to protect their profit margins. And, you know, like, like even Campbell Soup said, they said, the last thing we want to do is shut down the growth that we've worked fairly hard to have. So, you know, the, the, the point here is that inflationary pressures are an, an impact, a negative impact to profit margins. And, you know, we were kind of just, you know, talking about this yesterday, you know, whether it's commodities or packaging materials or transportation channels, all those input costs that are going into a product, good, or service at this point have all gone up. And so companies have to pass this on in order to try to protect some profit margins. They, if they try to absorb it all, which is partly what they're doing right now, they're eating some of the costs. But that's the, the more costs that they have to eat, the more pressure that puts on wages because you have to start cutting somewhere. Something's got to give, right? You just can't have prices go up. If I can't charge you more for the product, good, or service, something's got to give. And we're going to kind of see that, you know, kind of come through, you know, with a lot of these companies. Uh, you know, Whirlpool said we'll offset the impact of global supply constraints and rising input costs, right? Th these are all statements for wage suppression, cost cutting. And, and, you know, we're going to see this through and through as we get further into this year. And now this is unless we start to see these inflationary pressures reverse. We are going to see weaker economic growth. 
over the next two quarters. We are going to see weaker inflationary pressures over the next two quarters. And that's simply a function of the base effect, right? Again, as we've talked about previously, we compare everything on a year-over-year basis. So we're going to see, for instance, in, in quarter two, we're going to have this big jump in GDP, right? We're going to be up like 10% from last year. But the actual growth in the economy will actually slow in terms of total value because of the base effect. And then that's going to slow even further as we get into the rest of this year because in third quarter, we had a 33% jump in, in GDP. So the year-over-year comparisons will be much more challenging at that point for, for growth. And that's why by the end of the year, we'll be at 35 or 4% growth for the whole year. And then into next year, we're going to start heading back towards 2% growth. That's just a function. So with all of that, we're going to start to see some, some pressure on inflationary pressures in the economy, particularly as stimulus fades out and, and it depends on what happens with you know, infrastructure and those type of things. But those, are, those packages are coming in to be far less. The current infrastructure package um, being tossed around about $1.2 billion over eight years. So, you know, that's not that big of an impact on the overall economy. Yeah, it's great that we're going to rebuild, you know, infrastructure. That's, you know, that's awesome. But it's not that much money over eight years relative to the size of the economy. I mean, I'm not just, I'm not dismissing 1.2 trillion, but 1.2 trillion in a 20, you know, a $20 trillion economy or 1.2 trillion of additional debt when you already have, you know, 28 trillion in debt is now becoming just a relative number. But again, just keep a watch on what these companies are saying because, uh, again, you know, we're going to start to see more and more of this analysis coming from these companies talking about, you know, this, this constraint of cost. And remember, the biggest cost for any business is regulation, taxes, and most importantly, labor. So, okay. Um, Couple of things here as we get ready to wrap up this morning. PPI coming out uh, again. Watch what's going on with producer price indexes. We were just talking about this is the 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 big issue for companies. Price their their input costs are going up. Can they pass that on? So what we're looking at for you know in particular is the spread between PPI and CPI. The larger right uh, as of last month, that gap was one of the largest in history the gap between year-over-year PPI and year-over-year CPI, one of the largest in history, which means that companies aren't being able to pass on that inflationary pressure into CPI. Otherwise, CPI would be going up even more. So PPI is, uh, is, is showing that companies are having to suppress or absorb that inflationary cost. So watch this today. We're going to start to watch that gap to see if we're starting to see a shift of more of these companies starting to pass through some of those costs, we'll see what happens with PPI today, but that'll be kind of an important bearing. And of course, retail sales uh, are out in just a few minutes, about 30 minutes while retail sales out as well. Um, that's expected to be down 0.7%, but there is a real risk here. If you take a look at credit card spending data, you know, real time, that we might see retail sales down even more than that, potentially as much as 1% or more. 
uh, today as well. That, you know, is starting to really show that effect of those stimulus payments having worked their way through the system. We'll see what happens. Um, as always, uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Pick up with Danny Ratliff tomorrow right here on the show. Realinvestmentadvice.com is the website. Um, that's where you can get our latest newsletter our article out today. Technically speaking, slowly at first, all at once. That's on the website now. Of course, click the newsletter link for our newsletter from this past weekend where we talked about the evolution of our buy signal and where we are now and why we started taking profits uh, this week. Um, that's all on the website, along with our ability to get you know our live stream for our YouTube, our three minutes on markets and money, ton of stuff there for you, all at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Hey, thanks for watching. Uh, you can always watch the show live on YouTube right there on our channel. Uh, so we'd love to have you there as well. Make sure and subscribe. We'll keep you notified all the time as to what we're doing there. Realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day. We'll see you back here tomorrow. All the things I could tell if I had a little money. Sign up for the Real Investment Report now at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's a rich man's world.